Hello, everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th, when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections, and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Saturday, February 23rd, and you're very welcome to this edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Harry McGee, and I'm sitting in the City West Hotel on the outskirts of Dublin, where this weekend the annual Fianna Fáil Ordhesh is taking place. And beside me here is my colleague, the Irish Times political editor, Pat Leahy. So, uh, Pat, what's your own assessment of this particular Ordesh? Yeah, well, I suppose it's not um, it's it, it's not a big full weekend Ordesh with elections to uh, the party's national executive or anything like that. Um, but it is a pre-election Ordesh, and that gives it a certain bit of spark. So, potential European candidates are looking around, canvassing for votes. There's a lot of local election candidates to be introduced to from the podium who are trying to promote themselves and the party's trying to promote them ahead of the local and uh, European elections in May. Um, but if I had to sum up this Ordesh, just going by what we've heard from the podium and the conversations with lots of delegates uh, around the place, I think it'd be, we're ready for an election but we can't have one because of Brexit. So everything that people say is that they're ready for an election, but it would be the wrong thing to do to uh, to have one. And and that really permeates practically every conversation I've had with people here. It seems to be what the delegates are talking about amongst themselves, and it forms a substantial part of Micheál Martin's speech, I think. Indeed, and that's his strategy. Does that message, has it percolated down to the membership? Are they at Edom? Uh, with the leadership in terms of it being the correct strategy? Yeah, from what I can see, I think everybody is pretty much on board with that. There is a fair degree of grumbling about it, both from within the parliamentary party, and some of that has been public in recent weeks, and also from a more grassroots level. But whilst there is grumbling, I don't think that there is any serious organised opposition to uh, the policy of the party leadership. Um, uh, there, you know, where, where, while there is opposition in some quarters, there's certainly it's certainly not organised and it is nowhere near the sort of level at which would uh, call the policy into question. One of the other uh, phenomena that I thought was quite interesting, Pat, at this year's Ordesh was essentially the dog that didn't bark if we rewind uh, 12 months to last year's Ordesh, uh, abortion and the Eighth Amendment were both very, very big issues and delegates voted uh, for the retention of the Eighth Amendment and a lot has happened, of course, in the intervening 12 months. It hasn't really featured at all as, as a theme and doesn't even seem to form part of the chatter here. Not alone uh, has, it, has it not barked uh, so far. It hasn't even wagged its tail, uh, I think. And But I, I think in a way, Harry, that is... Part of that is, I think there's two reasons for it, okay? So I think the first reason is that it was a very difficult period for the party and much of the party kind of wants to put it behind itself now. And the second factor in it is that we are in a pre-election 
period, whether the general election comes sooner or later, we are in a pre-election period and that is unmistakable around here now and we're in a pre-election period for the locals and Europeans. So I think that uh, party members and delegates at all levels don't want to be concentrating on the things that divide them but rather the things uh, upon which they all agree. Uh, a little earlier, we were joined by Barry Andrews, Fianna Fáil's candidate in Dublin for the European Parliament elections, uh, by Lisa Chambers, who is the party's Brexit spokesperson, to discuss the Ordesh and some of the major issues that have been discussed. So perhaps if we turn to you uh, first, Lisa, you just chaired uh, a session on Brexit. Uh, one of the big talking points in the run-up to the Ordesh has surrounded confidence and supply. Uh, there were lots of noises off from Fianna Fáil TDs, about continuing confidence in supply, especially uh, when the controversy over the National Children's Hospital broke a lot of uh, discomfiture at continuing something about giving out about the government with one side of the mouth and then supporting the government with the other. What, what, what do you think is the mood uh, here in relation to confidence and supply? And can you talk about confidence and supply without talking about Brexit? Um, look, at, I mean, with confidence and supply, and I, and I made these remarks during the week, we're not happy in confidence and supply. We're not comfortable in confidence and supply. Um, nobody in the parliamentary party is happy with the way things are. And I wouldn't pretend for a second that our membership are thrilled to be um, still in confidence and supply. But there is an acceptance and a realisation um, that the responsible thing to do and the right thing to do is to give the country stability. And I've just come out of the, the Brexit session, as you just said. Um, there was a queue to get in. We didn't actually have enough seats for people. And uh, the focus was really on the fact that it's 34 days until Brexit and we have no clue what type of deal, if any, we can get across the line. Um, The UK still haven't really told us what they want remarkably. Uh, We don't know what to tell our farmers, our business people. We can't even tell our citizens whether the supply chains are going to be disrupted on March 30th. So I know I might sound like a broken record as the party's Brexit spokesperson because I'm going on about, you know, B-Day and uh, I suppose the the Armageddon that might be coming. But in all seriousness, the suggestion that we would plunge the country into a general election now is just utterly ridiculous and reckless. And that's what Sinn Féin were looking for. Um, You know, their focus and their target is Fianna Fáil. It's not the government. You know, their motion that they put down on Simon Harris this week, that was directed at Fianna Fáil. That wasn't really direct. They don't care about Simon Harris. They don't care about accountability. They wanted to put Fianna Fáil under pressure to see what we would do because of confidence and supply. Um, But we very quickly told them that we're not into playing their games. We have a job to do. We've guaranteed stability for our country because of Brexit, because it's the right thing to do, not because we love Fine Gael, because we don't. Um, and we're not going to change on that. We're not going to move on that simply because Fine Gael banged the t- Sinn Féin banged the table uh, and try and put the boot in. Okay, well, Lisa is saying that the party is adopting a responsible uh, position. Barry, you've just been through a very strenuous uh, campaign. You've been talking, you've probably talked to almost every member of Fianna Fáil in the wider Dublin area in advance of your convention. And Fiona Kelly was reporting on your speech at the weekend and saying that you did make a reference uh, to uh, some unhappiness about the continuation of confidence by the Fianna Fáil ordinary members are finding it difficult uh, to swallow. Uh, even though they might understand uh, the context. What's your own take on it? Uh, Is it something that is a once-off? Or do you think that we might see uh, similar arrangements as confidence and supply in the future? Yeah, well, it's it's, it's obviously too early to anticipate the outcome of the next general election, uh, whenever that may be. But yeah, my phone calls to members of the uh, Dublin Fianna Fáil 
party uh, surfaced a, a very clear frustration because they're out door knocking for local election candidates for the last few months and they are hearing from members of the public that, OK, well, it's all very well to be critical of the way this government is handling the public finances on the one hand, how it's handling the housing issue, how it's handling the health issue. But you guys are supporting them in Parliament and therefore, you know, we have to take that with a pinch of salt. So there is a frustration there. But at the same time, there is an absolutely clear acknowledgement that it would be an act of self-harm for, the government, for, for, for Ireland to go into an electoral period now. Uh, as Lisa's just described, you would have uh, six weeks to run into an election. You would have maybe four months again to form a new government. It's not easy when you don't have dominant parties. Um, you would have another couple of months for new ministers to read into their briefs. It's simply just, there's no argument whatsoever for it. It is simply an expression of the frustration. And I think it was ungracious of the Taoiseach yesterday to suggest that the only reason Fianna Fáil are, not, are supporting this government in the way we are is because of the polls. I mean, that's just, uh, I think it's a very complacent attitude to take. Uh, he should be uh, acknowledge a bit more that you know, Fianna Fáil has taken tough decisions. The only outworking of the last general election was the arrangement that's been put in place and the contrast with Westminster really underlines how important it was to deliver that. Pat, the, um, the controversy over the National Children's Hospital did expose a, a fault line, as it were, uh, in terms of the Fianna Fáil strategy, the difficulty of, of, of continuing uh, the confidence and supply uh, arrangement. What's your view on it at the moment? Um, is, is it uh, something that has diminishing returns electorally for the party? The longer it goes on, the more potential damage it might have for the party in terms of its electoral prospects. I mean, I think we're all in agreement, those of us who are observing the arena and, and uh, the guys who are, who are in the arena, we're all at one in terms of our description of what's going on at the moment. And that is that there is this, you know, festering impatience and, uh, and general sense of being fed up with the confidence and supply agreement. And my sense is that runs from the very top of Fianna Fáil right down to the grassroots. And it's one thing just talking to casually to people uh, around here in, in City West today that is coming back almost uh, almost uniformly. One thing that struck me is almost the gritted teeth through which many Fianna Fáilers have been saying, yes, yes, well, we're stuck with this bloody national interest thing, but that's only for the time being until uh, until uh, until Brexit uh, is, is out of the way. And uh, it strikes me that at least for public consumption that uh, people should be embracing the national interest with somewhat uh, somewhat more gusto but there's no doubt but that that Fianna Fáil is at an end psychologically politically emotionally strategically with the confidence and supply agreement um, Michal Martin says every time a microphone is shoved under his nose and questions asked to him on this subject, he says that no, none of you said that this. Uh, you, all, you all said that this thing wouldn't last when we uh, when it was uh, uh, when it was begun in 2016. That's not on, uh, in, in, entirely true. Of course, lots of people said that it uh, that it wouldn't last. Others said that it would, and I thought that it would at least for an interim period because of the three groups that were involved in it: Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Independents. All of them believed it was in their political interests to make the thing work at least uh, 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 at least for, for an interim period. But I think for two of those three groups, for Fianna Fáil, but also for Fianna Gael, 
I think that they now no longer believe it to be in their political interest to continue with this. The great roadblock to that inevitable election, as always, is, is Brexit. And, you know, we're not saying anything particularly novel here. We've all been saying this for the last number of months, that there will be an election, but first Brexit must achieve some sort of medium-term equilibrium, must achieve some sort of certainty for, uh, for the future, and we're, we're not at that point yet. Just before we go back to uh, our other two guests, I mean, the corollary from that, Pat, though, is if there is no confidence in supply after the next election... What are we going to have? Are we going to have a coalition between, dare we say it, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin? Or are we going to have to come up with some other kind of creative solution to get over the hump of no party being within an ass's roar of getting an overall majority? I, I think, you know, great recessions tend to change politics. And the great recession that we achieved, or that we underwent here, changed politics. Now, exactly where the pieces fall... Uh, you know, is probably still a little bit uncertain in some ways. But one thing that we do know is that we probably, for the foreseeable future, will have two large, reasonably well-balanced, uh, in, 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 or two, two parties operating at roughly around the same level of support, both of which will have to seek support either from the other or from other of the political players in order to form a government. You know, I mean, I think there's a, there is a, uh, uh, there's a scope of, or there's a range of outcomes to the next general election which are easily imaginable, running from more or less parity between the two parties to, uh, uh, to probably Fine Gael maybe being 10, maybe 15 seats uh, ahead. I, I, I tend to think that if the election were held now, it would tend more towards parity. But whatever happens, I think there is going to be... Um, uh, uh, I think there will be a need for the two big parties to look elsewhere and at one another. And in that competition, because I think we used to think of elections as producing governments. Now elections, I think, is, it's, it's the formation of government is a two-stage process. First comes the election, and the next election will be marked by principally by competition between the big two, and then will come the government formation phase, which will again be marked by competition between the big, big, the, the big two. And I think what Fianna Fáil thinks and hopes is that even if it doesn't beat Fine Gael in the number of Dáil seats, it can overhaul Fine Gael's Dáil total with alliances with Labour, the Social Democrats, Greens, some of the independents, and thereby put itself in pole position to form the next government. I don't think that's an unrealistic hope. OK, um, Barry, you uh, um, last contested for Fianna Fáil, sorry for bringing back such bitter memories, in 2011 in the uh, Dún Lira constituency. You're back now. Um, what's your own uh, assessment of the state of the party at this present moment uh, in time? I mean, OK, confidence in supply is, is definitely something that has the potential to take uh, the party's support down somewhat. But, I mean, generally, what's your own view as to how the party stands? I mean, you know, it's starting in 2011 and, you know, I was part of a committee in Dublin trying to revive the, uh, the interests of the party in the capital city. Uh, we worked trying to come up with ideas and how we were going to get things back. Um, and, you know, through 2012, one member, one vote emerged as one of the key planks on which the rebuilding work would occur. So what I've experienced in terms of the convention and then seeking the nomination for the, the MEP elections, 
it was just incredible the energy that is suddenly back, the competition that I, and I think anybody who attended the convention last Sunday would have seen that that you had um, four or five hundred people in a room. Um, the, there was an enormous tension. There was great discussions throughout uh, the, the 11 constituencies of Dublin. And a number of old stagers said to me, you know, the atmosphere they'd seen, something that... You're nearly an old stager yourself. Many decades. <laughs> That's very harsh, uh, Pat. Um, but, if, you know, older stagers, may I say, uh, that said that they hadn't seen that atmosphere in many, many decades. So... Uh, the answer to the state of the party, I think it's extremely healthy. I think we have recovered in terms of council seats in 2014 and became the largest uh, party in the, the councils. We recovered dramatically in 2016 in the general election. You know, Everybody's saying that we're going to recover in the European elections, the last bit of the equation that brings us back to a national party. Um, and I would say to Pat that... You know, political clairvoyance is uh, totally discredited in recent times, uh, the way things have uh, emerged. And I think that if, you know, we have a good outing in the local and European elections, um, I think that will carry through into general elections. And I, uh, and, I, and I don't think we've seen the end of this children's hospital issue. I don't think we're going to see the end of the problems. And as you pointed out, I remember in one of your columns, um, you know, political capital is a wasting asset. I thought it was a good remark. And, you know, I, I think uh, the timing mightn't be the worst for Fianna Fáil um, the next general election. I think just, just, just to come in before you go back to, uh, to Lisa on that point, I, I, I get the sense, I'd be interested to see what the lads think, I get the sense that the, the organisation is actually in reasonably robust form at the moment. I won't quite say that they're spoiling for a general election, but it is something approaching that. I get that sense around here. Today, oh, and I got it, really, I got it to, to an extent to the last Ardesh as well. Certainly today, the moodometer is much higher than it was in 2012 and 2013, and uh, Fianna Fáil does seem to have recovered some of its old uh, leap, as it were, old fire, uh, as it were. Uh, you can certainly not be put into the old stager category, uh, Lisa. Um, I don't think Barry Andrews can either, in fairness, <laughs> to be honest with you. They're ganging um, up on me. Well, where do you think the party, I mean, what would the party do that's different from Fine Gael? Pat, uh, during stand-up with the leader there, was asking him, what would Fianna Fáil do in the event of a no-deal Brexit? What, what, what's Fianna Fáil's stance in relation to that? And the uh, response that Micheál Martin gave wasn't markedly different from what we might have heard from Leo Varadkar's Taoiseach. I suppose just before we go on to that, just to comment on the state of the party, I mean, I actually ran in 2011. 2011 was my first election. So I've seen the difference between a 2011 Dáil election a local campaign in 2014 where I had the Fine Gael Taoiseach in the same town to contesting 2016 election. And the organisation, to say that we're back, is an understatement. I mean, the, the energy and the drive. And I think a lot of our supporters, they didn't disappear. They went maybe dormant for a little while. Um, but they're back and they're proud of where we're at. And I think Mihal has done an incredible job of rebuilding the party from the, the low ebb. I mean, in 2011, we were on the floor. And the team that was there from 2011 to 2016, the, the, the 20 TDs, remarkable to say 20 Fianna Fáil TDs is all that was there. You know, the amount of hard graft and just getting on the road that those 20 guys did and Hall as well. That's why we are where we are, because of hard graft on the ground knocking on doors. Are you and attracting suppose, younger um, members in? I mean, a lot was made last year of the, of the Ordesh and the stance that was taken in relation to the Eighth Amendment. I know the leadership took a different view, um, but... Uh, there is a view out there that younger people are flocking uh, to some of the newer parties and other parties, but Fianna Fáil is having difficulty attracting younger members. 
I mean, I don't know how much they're flocking to the other parties. Uh, they're probably not. Um, you can see from today, we've got plenty of young new candidates, but you know, I, I know that I would have been one of those younger candidates back in the day, and I feel like I'm around a while now. I suppose I'm more than 10 years in the party, but you know, it, it can't be a case of having all brand new shiny candidates. You have to have experience as well, and life experience, and we've got a lot of established people that should be there, and we need them there. Um, you know, and then you, the question in terms of what would we do differently now in the event of a hard Brexit, it's difficult to come in because obviously we didn't start the process, so we weren't, we didn't orchestrate the position that we're in. We haven't been at the negotiating table. It hasn't been a Fianna Fáil uh, Taoiseach leading these negotiations or a Fianna Fáil Foreign Affairs Minister out in Brussels. Um, so I think we'd be in a different space, in particular with our relationship with the UK government. Um, I mean, there were several weeks there where Leo Varadkar and Theresa May didn't speak on the phone, which is... I think is incredible and, and unforgivable because given that the tension that's there between the two governments, there should be weekly contact all the time. There always was under Fianna Fáil governments, that good link. So I think the relationship would be different between the two governments, if I'm being honest. But as to where we would be at, it's hard to know because we weren't involved in the negotiations right in the centre of it. Um, I think also our preparations. I mean, if Fianna Fáil were in government and I was charged with the job that Simon Coveney currently has, we wouldn't have just published our legislation yesterday. It would have been published long ago. Um, we wouldn't be publishing it with 35 days to go to Brexit, just for starters. Um, I would be able to tell our citizens what type of financial aid package I think that's going to be in place on March 30th. That, those questions should have been asked and we should have answers. So I think in terms of preparedness, information for citizens uh, and relationship with the UK, I think they're the three things we would... But on, on, but on the sense, yeah. just to jump in, sorry, Harry, just on the, but on the central point, and I, I, I know that Lisa and Micheál Martin were critical throughout, especially the second half of last year, about the pace of Brexit preparations, uh, and that was something that they were coming to all the time in the Dáil. But on the central, crucial issue of how the border, what happens to the border after a no-deal Brexit... I don't see so any clarity from Fianna Fáil about what they believe should happen or what they would do that is any different to what the government is saying, which is essentially, and as, as you referenced earlier, Micheál Martin said exactly this when I asked him at a doorstep of a, 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 an hour or two ago. He said the same as Leo Varadkar says, which is, we don't want to see a hard border. Well, we know that. Well, but look, the question I mean, is, what, does a, uh, what, what should saying, happen after a hard Everybody is saying we don't want to see exit. a hard border. I'll give you an example of, of an, in, somewhere where I think the government really put a foot wrong and something that we wouldn't have done. December 2017, when they took to the steps after the joint statement was issued and Article 49, which became the backstop, uh, was born. They took to the steps and Leo Varadkar used words like cast iron, bulletproof, as though he had just won and gotten one over on the Brits. That was the language, that was the tone. And that forevermore made the backstop toxic and unworkable. At the beginning of a, no a negotiation, you don't step out and say you've won it all. You've just started. And arguably the most difficult part is yet to come. Because now we're only discussing the exit strategy. How did the UK actually leave the European Union? We haven't even begun to discuss the future trading relationship, which is the most important part for Ireland. So that's a clear example, I think, of just, just you know, Leo Varadkar being like a deer in headlights, getting all starry-eyed, thinking he'd won some big win over England. And it just, I mean, that's fine at soccer. It's not fine in the Brexit negotiations. Do, do you think that if it comes to a choice for the Irish government between a compromise on the backstop as it is now written are running the risk of uh, a hard Brexit or a hard exit or no deal exit. Do you think that the Irish government should compromise? 
compromise how? I mean, Pat, if, if the question you're well, asking... Well, say one of the, the ideas that's been put around is a codicil which uh, includes uh, a commitment that it will not be permanent, that some sort of process could be entered into or, uh, at, at, at some stage in the yeah, future. See, now you're asking me, you know, am I OK with the border, but just maybe 10 years down the line? And the answer is no. And so the they should stick to their guns and risk a hard exit idea, now? We are where we are now because of the way that they've led the negotiations. And the idea that we would somehow you know, just, just kick this issue down the road for another generation to deal with or another doll to deal with to make life easier now. Um, you know, I think that more needs to be done in terms of helping the UK to get a deal over the line. Um, when the That's, that is, is the thing that would Yes, but that when would the Thonish says there'll have to be checks somewhere and the most he can muster is, well, they'll be in the sea somewhere and he's trying to tell Shane Ross to be quiet and stop talking. You know, that just doesn't fill you with confidence. And one of our speakers said earlier that she felt every time she watched Leo Vracker and Simon Coveney discuss Brexit that they had their fingers crossed behind their backs just hoping it wouldn't happen. And that, you do get that sense that there's just too many eggs in the basket of getting a deal over the line. OK, Barry, has Fianna Fáil been abs- absent from Europe for the past five years? I know Brian Crowley was elected as, as a Fianna Fáil MEP, but he departed the, the party whip uh, shortly afterwards. Ha- has that made a material difference to the party in terms of its impact or its lack of impact? Yeah, I think it, I think it most certainly has. I mean, there was a time when we had some very uh, significant European Parliament uh, members who were able to interpret what was going on in Europe for uh, the national audience. And that's always been very difficult. But I think right now, more than ever, people want to know, well, what happens after Brexit? What happens to Irish influence in, the Euro- in Europe after Brexit? And the fact that we don't have any representatives permanently in Brussels right now is a real deficit. And one of the things that I suppose we're ambitious about is to make sure that, as I mentioned earlier on in, in, in my contribution, that in the, insofar as Europe is made up of regional alliances, Ireland is quite isolated, and it's just not just the geographic aspect to that of not having a natural hinterland, but also under thematic issues that we're slightly isolated. The Taoiseach himself describing ourselves as laggards on climate. Um, we're obviously under the spotlight in terms of corporate tax. So there are lots and lots of reasons in which uh, we need interpretation of Europe uh, by, nas- by, by, by parliamentarians and that's something we've really sorely missed and it's the final element I think in the restoration of Fianna Fáil post-2011. Okay, just uh, uh, to, to wrap up we're just going to look at another uh, unusual aspect about this year's uh, Fianna Fáil Ordech. It's the first time that an arrangement uh, has been in place with uh, the STLP which is now your sister party in the North Column. Uh, Eastwood uh, spoke uh, at the session this afternoon and gave a very considered uh, and very thought-provoking uh, speech. Some people have said that Fianna Fáil haven't been brave enough in terms of that arrangement, that they should have gone for a merger uh, rather than kind of pol- policy direction and kind of mentorship, uh, uh, as it were. Uh, what are your views on uh, this uh, arrangement, its potential? And do you see Fianna Fáil stroke STLP kind of being a 32-party uh, entity in the long run? Uh, that might, that might uh, threaten the hegemony on the nationalist side of, of Sinn Féin in the North of Ireland. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, it's no secret that there were members of the party want, that wanted to go further. They wanted to do a little bit more. Uh, I think it's really positive. It's the first time we've had a formalised structure for the two parties. And just last week, actually, a delegation from the SDLP came to Leinster House and they sat down with myself and our deputy leader, Dara Cleary, uh, and numbers of our team to discuss policy areas that were going to work together. So things like agriculture, Brexit, energy, you know, very practical I suppose, issues and how we can help them in their local election and vice versa. So we're already, the work has already started. Very practical day-to-day politics has already started between the two parties. Um, I think for us as a party, it's, it's always been party policy to move into Northern Ireland. 
But being honest about it, what happened in 2011, um, the party being, I suppose, in a very difficult place, that altered that timeline. And that's just being honest as to where we were at. And right now we felt it was the right move for us as a party because we have a lot going on as well here, I suppose, in the Republic in terms of the all elections coming up whenever they happen and European and local elections. We had to also think what was right for Fianna Fáil. And we felt that this was a good start uh, to formalising that, that new relationship. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm very excited about it. I first canvassed for the SDLP in 1986 by elections, which underlines my <laughs> old stage. <laughs> I've thrown even, it off. Even then, you were, were a born that year. I was born in oh my God, my nerves. <laughs> so uh, that's, but there's been this kind of transition. We were very young at the time. Yes, yeah, so except years have been kind prodigy. of. Barry. I was a prodigy. But anyway, we were, we were, you know, there's been that transactional relationship between Fianna Fáil and the SDLP for all those years, 30 years and more. Um, and for the first time, it's strategic and it's really interesting to see what's happening now. A merger means two organisations disappearing and a new one emerging. That's not going to happen. Um, it's neither is it an acquisition. So the proper way to approach this is through a strategic alliance where we begin to set some short term, medium term goals. And so uh, I think the membership are massively excited by this new relationship. Okay, and just to finally, Pat, your own um, opinion on, on this arrangement from the SDF. Remember 1986? I have only very dim memory as a, as a three-year-old or toddler. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I was in the hall for Column, Column Eastwood's speech. I thought it was quite a good speech. Um, I kind of warmed up the crowd significantly, you know, standing ovation uh, at, the, uh, at the end of it. But what kind of struck me about it as well is that there was, certainly there was no talk or of, of a merger. It was very much a, you know, a tentative partnership. And that, I think... Column Eastwood uh, was one of the primary originators of, uh, of of this idea. I think some people at the top of the SDLP were much more enthusiastic about this than some people at the top of Fianna Fáil uh, were. And I think, you know, some of the suggestions over Christmas that there was going to be a merger, there would be a great show, SDLP show at the, uh, at the Ordes, at the Ordes, they'd be introduced, you know, to, uh, to the Fianna Fáil party that at, 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 at this Ordes haven't really, uh, been borne out. What struck me about it is not just that he made a good speech, but that he was speaking in the middle of the Brexit panel in the middle of the afternoon. He's not speaking tonight before Micheál Martin uh, takes the, the stage. Act, yeah. He's not, not as the warm-up. Somebody else slotted Whose identity is shrouded in mystery, I gather. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I, th- I, I think from Fianna Fáil point of view, at least, and there are some, there's an SDLP delegation down, I was talking to some of them uh, earlier, who are very enthusiastic uh, about the future cooperation between the two parties. But from a Fianna Fáil point of view, my sense is that they're moving forward quite carefully and quite tentatively. So, Pat, um, Micheál Martin has delivered his stump speech. It's, it, is it the most memorable speech he's ever given, or what's your own impression of the speech? Uh, I, I think um, it, probably not the most memorable speech that Micheál Martin has ever given. You know, uh, I think if you, if, you, if you go back to his pre-election Ordesh uh, at the before the 2016 election, when he uh, kind of gra- almost grabbed the Ordesh by the scruff of the neck and told delegates and told people watching at home, you know, that the Fine Gael government, then led by uh, Enda Kenny, was looking for a coronation, but this was a republic and we didn't do coronations. And that a lot of a, a lot of people really date Fianna Fáil's recovery in the last general election campaign to that speech. This was not one of uh, those speeches, I think. Um, I, I think a large part of it, he 
dedicated to uh, an explanation of Fianna Fáil's continued support for the government, our continued facilitation of the government through the Confidence and Supply Agreement and a justification for there not being an election now. So in a way, this kind of sort of curious position where the whole Ardesh, it seems to me, uh, not just from the podium, but also talking to delegates, the whole election or the whole Ardesh is, is spoiling for a general election but believes it would be irresponsible to have it uh, immediately. And in a way, that uh, was reflected in Michal Martin's speech. So we spent a good early part of the speech, a good chunk of the speech, offering, um, uh, offering a justification for that particular policy before going on, I suppose, to attack the government in more specific terms and laying out the party's vision for, uh, for particularly on, on health and on housing. And I think, you know, in, in a way, it's not just Brexit. That, goes, that is, goes to the heart of explaining why we're in this position now. It's not just because, not only because Fianna Fáil regards it, probably correctly, I think most people would agree, as uh, regards it as, as being colossally um, irresponsible to prompt an election at this point in the Brexit process, but also because Fianna Fáil does not want to fight an election about Brexit. It wants to fight an election about health and housing. And that's why there won't be an election, or at least that Fianna Fáil won't cause an election until Brexit is out of the way. He went to inordinate lengths to try to explain his position. He almost kind of uh, talked himself into a hole, as it were. What do we want? An election? When do we want it? Well, not quite now. Um, and some of the, the, the language he used, Pat, I found uh, to be um, quite defensive, but it seems to have gone down well with delegates. Uh, we want the government gone, but we're, we refuse to expose our country to the massive risk of having no functioning government or Doyle uh, at this moment of great uh, threat. So that was essentially yeah, hanging a sword over any of the uh, delegates that might have discomfiture with that particular strategy. Yeah, and look, I, I think the reality of the political situation for Fianna Fáil is now is that Micheál Martin is more or less in total command of his party, albeit that he always has to put up with, and it's been a feature of his leadership, that he always has to put up with very well-reported and vocal dissent from some quarters of his party. But in political terms, he sets the policy, he sets the agenda. The party may grumble, but it will row in behind him. That's the position as of now, but he wanted to explain it, I think, uh, you know, in, in, in lengthy terms tonight to his, uh, to his delegates. That's what he was at. In a way, you know, and you heard this from other speakers as well over the, over the course of the day, is that Fianna Fáil is kind of almost, uh, almost a bit humpy about being stuck with this bloody national interest, which is preventing them from, you know, charging forward to a great election victory. But, you know, they will, uh, for the time being, at least, will, uh, will stick with the national interest as they define it. Another new theme, uh, and it was evident in his speech as well, is this arrangement with the SDLP. Lisa Chambers, when she was with us earlier, was honest enough to say that some party members wanted to go further, but because of what happened to the party in 2011, that really isn't a realistic prospect at this moment uh, of time. And most people would agree that the arrangement is quite tentative uh, in nature. He referred to it in his speech, but he didn't really give much details as to how that arrangement is actually going to be work. I think it's going to be policy-oriented, uh, rather than any kind of co-branding or standing on the same platform, as it were. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And if you look back earlier in the afternoon to the speech given by the leader of the, of the STLP, Colm Eastwood, 
who um, uh, who gave a speech during the Brexit uh, session in the afternoon. Again, the Fianna Fáil SDLP partnership wasn't even the mainstay of his speech. Uh, one of the watchwords of Micheál Martin's leadership of Fianna Fáil has been his caution in, uh, in, 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 in terms of big decisions. He weighs them up and, uh, and, and, and now he has in the past not been afraid to act boldly on, on particular issues. And, you know, you go back to abortion last year as the, uh, as, as one of the standout examples of that. But he is also, he tends to caution and deliberation before he makes big decisions. And I think that you see an example of that with the SDLP. Uh, link up. It is not and nor will it be for the foreseeable future, if at all, a full-scale merger between the parties. And I think what both sides almost were doing today was almost playing it down rather than playing it up. And I think part of the reason for that is not just because he doesn't see and it is hard to discern an obvious political upside for Fianna Fáil out of that uh, in the South, but also because he is concerned and senior people in Fianna Fáil are concerned about the effect on unionism of the site of Fianna Fáil marching north towards the fourth greenfield. Okay, and then he reeled through some of the, the more predictable issues, as it were, housing and health, putting a big emphasis on affordable housing, which has been a big Fianna Fáil theme in terms of uh, the National Children's Hospital scandal, which is inevitably going to come up. Uh, I think the, the, the main thing he had to say about that is that too much happened uh, in a culture of secrecy. They were to be expected. They're kind of roused about Ordesh speech-making stuff, got a good reaction uh, from the crowd. And then he went to the finale, uh, in which he kind of, again... Uh, roused the uh, audience in the hall. So what, what will Fianna Fáil take out of Micheál Martin's speech and out of this or that this weekend? Pat? You know, I think, um, you know, all televised leaders' addresses are not just to the delegates in the hall, they're to the, uh, to the audience watching at home. One contrast between his speech, Micheál Martin's speech tonight and the uh, and the one given in this venue by uh, Leo Varadkar at his party's Ordesh before Christmas uh, when he chose to unveil his pledge of tax cuts is that there wasn't a big single message out of Michal Martin's speech. It was a justification of his present political position in, in preserving the uh, confidence and supply agreement. It was the atta- sort of attacks that you would uh, on, on the government that you would expect. It was the positioning of Fianna Fáil as the party of public goods, public housing, a public health service, education, and so forth. I think that is, you know, where Michal Martin's political compass is. I think that's how Fianna Fáil will fight the next election. They will do it in contrast to uh, Fianna Fáil or to, to Fianna Gael's tax cutting pledges. So in a way, it was without any big showbiz moment, without any big pledge being un, un, uh, unveiled, it was a signal to where uh, Fianna Fáil would be at the next election. So very much a pre-election speech, albeit that that election isn't coming anytime soon. OK, thanks so much for that analysis, Pat. With that, we'll wrap up this episode of the Inside Politics podcast. Thank you to Pat Leahy and thanks also to Lisa Chambers and Barry Andrews and to our producer, Declan Conlon. Until next time... Thanks very much for listening.